So one of the things I'd like to do, actually I have two goals in mind this morning as we get around the community table. First of all is to thank God for what he's done for us in 2023. may not have been a perfect year for you. may not have been the easiest year for you, but God got you through it to this point, and he's still going to continue on from here on out. But the second thing is, is this. I do want to pray in 2024. I do want to take some time as we only sang two songs up front. We're going to sing three songs at the end, and two of them are more reflective songs, ones that we'll be able to just to, to kind of think about what happened in the past and be able to pray in that 2024. And, and even as that video said, you know, I want to challenge us to think less about the resolutions on where we want to change our physical appearances and do more along the lines and ask God to take the lead in 2024 to change us for His glory. I mean, what would the new year look like if we stopped making resolutions and lists to try and prove ourselves and instead ask God to lead us in the areas that we need to change? Now, obviously, that's going to be different than what the world and the culture is going to be talking about probably today and into tonight if you watch Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve or whatever it is and you're, you're tuning in on that and you're watching that. They're not going to be talking about the things that we're going to talk about this morning, I'm pretty sure. Let's be honest, in our world, success is often measured by Numbers. I mean, in here, there's probably people who are thinking, I need to lose some weight. I'd be on that list. 2023 has been good to me in the food department. And the thing is, is that as I look at that, I say, we judge our success by our numbers. Maybe it's something along the lines of how many units you were sold because you're in sales or how much money we make or how much money we even save, how many people attended whatever event. I mean, it may be a way to to measure success in the pursuit of what the world has for us, but that's not a measurement that is to be used in the spiritual realm. Take 2023, for example. Actually, I was just talking to Bob Cote beforehand. He's asking where our numbers were at. You know, I think our numbers have been pretty good since all the things that were thrown at us now almost four years ago in 2020. Uh, it really took a toll on many churches, and God brought us through, and he's continued to bring us back to where we were even at, even a little bit more so in that area. But Here's the thing that I've found. Attendance figures can be deceptive. Because I know a quick way to fill a sanctuary. There's two words, and those are entertainment and giveaways. Entertainment and giveaways. If I want to grow the church in that sort of way, I want to grow the numbers, there's some things that churches do for some crazy ways to get people to come into the doors. I, I followed these big churches and some of the things that they do. One of them, they had fire cannons. They would blast across the stage. They did this whole huge Easter presentation like they were in hell and it was all this fire. And I'm like, wow, that is not going to happen at our church because a fire marshal would, would not allow that. Um, there was one church that had alligators on stage during the service and they were talking about traps. They had slack line dancers. I'm not even sure if you know what that is, but that's one of those like giant lines that kind of bounces and they do the flips and they do all those kind of things like that. And I mean, they do raffle giveaways. Think about this. How many people would would fill this place if we had a requirement that you had to be here for the entire month of January and at the end of month of January everybody got a raffle ticket that was here because they got their little attendance check and we we're going to give away an F-150? My guess is we'd have a pretty full January. February probably wouldn't wouldn't have the same response after we gave the truck away. But th- th- those kind of things are are easy to swell up numbers but at the same time Is it telling us about the thing that matters most to Christ? And that is the true response to the gospel. That is heart change. 
Would it tell us about those things? And today as we head into communion, I want you to remember something that Paul talked about up front. Paul talked about, um, as he led through in 1 Corinthians 11, he was telling the church at Corinth about the way they were really doing communion wrong. And as he wrapped up, he said these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 and 28. He said, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. Let a person examine himself. Let a person examine herself. This is basically what we do this time of year anyway. Like I said, we'll examine our guts and be like, yep, that needs to change. We will examine our bank account and say, yep, that needs to change. We'll examine our lives and say, yes, that needs to change. But will we examine our hearts and say, yes, that needs to change? That is what I want to do today as we come to the table with communion. I want to take that challenge to take even a step further than communion. And I want to also look at 2024 and say, my heart needs to change. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, if you flip with me over to the beginning of Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, you're going to find Jesus in a stage of his ministry where he was actually drawing big crowds. And you can compare other gospel accounts and we learn that the crowd was so large in this part of the passage here that Jesus actually had to get into a boat because the crowds were crowding in on him. And as we look at that, we have to understand that the goal for Jesus was not bigger crowds. That wasn't the ultimate goal. Now, granted, having people there planting seeds, as we're going to see, was important, but that wasn't his goal. His goal was heart change. But Jesus also knew that most of the people there, they were there, well, for entertainment and giveaways. I mean, if you really stop and think about it, there wasn't a whole, whole lot going on, and they wanted to see cool miracles happen. That was their entertainment. They wanted to have their physical needs met. That was the giveaways. That was the reason why they were following Jesus. So all these people were kind of gathered around, and Jesus decides to address this. And he addresses it because he says, hey, your hearts are not in the right place, and he needs to get back, we'll use this as an example, to get back to the heart of the matter. And he tells them a parable. He tells them a parable, and as he tells them a parable, the parable that we're going to look at is probably one of the most popular parables that Jesus teaches. So much so that it's also recorded in Mark chapter 4, as well as Matthew 13. But before Luke even gets to the parable... Before he gets to the parable, he gives us a little background of where we find ourselves. Where we're looking at in all of this. And this is what he says in verses 1 through 3 of Luke chapter 8. If you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to follow along. Or you can follow along on the screen. He gives us a background about those who were there with him and those who were supporting Jesus as well. It says, afterwards, he was traveling from one town and village to another. Preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and some of the women who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness. Mary, called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. So here's what Luke is telling us. He says, Jesus is traveling around from town to town, and he's got this goal to be able to speak to as many people as possible. So that obviously is taking place. But as he traveled, he took his disciples with him. 
which is a great thing for us to learn, a, a way to, to disciple others is to have them involved in your life and in your ministry. And there's a great internship training that's taking place right there. So that's a great thing. He also had an entourage beyond the 12. And in that entourage were some, some women who had been healed by Jesus, as well as uh, those who were supporting Jesus financially. And I say as well as, really, as probably all of them in that group. Now, it's not the message this morning, but I do want to make note here that the first three verses remind us that any ministry depends on the people that, that are, are doing ministry and doing what they can with their lives within it. Doing their, their five T's that we have here at the church, the, the, the time, the talents, the treasure, testimony, and temple. And if I were to challenge you to think about something for 2024, challenge yourself on where you're investing your time, where you're investing your talents, where you're investing your treasure, how you're sharing your testimony, and what you're doing with your life in general. So that's the beginning of the parable. We're kind of setting up the parable. Now I want to jump to verses 9 and 10. And as we jump to verses 9 and 10, the reason why I want to jump there is I want to tell you why he talks about parables. Because the disciples themselves say, hey, Jesus, why do you talk about parables? He answers in verses 9 and 10. He says these words. Then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables, so that looking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. That's a weird thing to say, because it almost sounds like Jesus is saying, look, I'm telling people parables to confuse them. If you look at that, that's kind of what it sounds like. But actually what he's doing is he's actually quoting Isaiah 6-9. And in quoting Isaiah 6-9, Jesus, Jesus um, is showing how God was telling Isaiah, go and deliver my message, but don't expect them to pay any attention to it. Don't expect them to do that. The effect of your preaching will be their persistent refusal to accept what you have to say. And, and the point they will get to will be one that they say, you know what, I'm not going to accept. I, I'm incapable of accepting it. So Isaiah is where he's at, and he spoke very plainly. Well, guess what? Jesus is really good at speaking plainly and to the point. So he used these parables to illustrate, to illustrate, to, to make a truth easier to grasp. It's just like us using an illustration in a sermon or even using a movie at Christmas time to find a message. Kind of the, the whole point of where you're at. But you also have to think through the parable as a listener. Ones who were not interested in the truth would not take the time to figure out the point of the parable. Honestly, it was kind of a laziness. And in it, it was also a way that Jesus used to kind of filter out those who would be open to the truth and those who were not. He was using this opportunity. So let's get to the parable. The parable is one of the easiest parables to understand because... Jesus tells a parable, and then he explains the parable. So it's pretty easy to understand what he's talking about here. And thankfully, as he explained the parable to the disciples, they took notes to help us out even thousands of years later. So there's three main parts to this parable. It's a parable of the sower. There's a sower, there is seed, and there is the ground. The seed represents the word of God. The sower represents anyone who will share or proclaim the word of God. And the ground represents the heart's of those who hear. This parable explains why two people can sit in this building in what we might consider a pew. I don't know what you want to call that. And, and hear the same message yet respond completely differently. That's why today I'm saying we need to examine our hearts. 
Because I'm going to give you four different types of hearts that Jesus talks about here. And I want you to see where you're at. I want you to see which type of heart you are. Because there's four different hearts, four different kinds of responses. And in that self-examination, which heart is yours? The first one Jesus talks about is an unresponsive heart. An unresponsive heart. The seed, as the sower throws it out onto the ground, cannot penetrate the soil. It fell on hard ground. It lies on top of the soil until the birds come and eat the seed. These are the people who hear the word of God, but have no response to it at all. They can sit through a time of teaching, but they don't see it being, we'll use this word, relevant to their own soul. They may read the Bible once in a while, but they're just reading words. They're not listening to the voice of God. They are not interested. They're just here to be here. Second one is the impulsive heart. The impulsive heart, the kind of person, this one, the, the, the seed falls on a thin layer of dirt that's covering a rock base. The ground underneath it, it just doesn't allow it to develop any sort of root system. It doesn't go any deeper. It quickly dies because it can't, it can't sustain its life. It can't find any moisture. These are the people who respond enthusiastically or even emotionally to the gospel message. They might walk an aisle. They might pray a prayer. They may make a grand profession. They might even get baptized and get all excited, but it doesn't last. They respond impulsively because they never consider the full commitment that it takes to follow Christ. The call of Christ is the call of self-denial. It's the call of sacrifice. It's the call of obedience. When you hear those words and you have no root, you will wither away because that goes completely against everything that we have. When the, when the novelty wears off, they will drift away. The third one is the preoccupied heart or the distracted heart. This group of the people who are distracted, as a matter of fact, Ju, uh, J, Jesus says in Luke eight fourteen, as for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones when they have heard go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life, and they produce no mature fruit. How many people do you know that describes their life? That, that you, you walk into church and you want everything to do with Christ, but everything else in the world chokes him out. This is a picture of people who are so preoccupied with things of the world, they just don't have any time to give to their, their spiritual life. They don't have any time to give attention to it. These people are distracted by earthly lives. These people are, are distracted by, I've got to keep up with the Joneses. I, I, I've got to, to do these things. They spend their time and their money on things that will help them look better to their friends. But in reality, they're not impressing anybody. They're too distracted to follow Jesus. And you know, next week when we talk, start talking about Ecclesiastes, this is one of the things we're going to see. We're going to see this play itself out. And we're going to go deeper into it. But I don't think it takes a whole lot for you to understand what I'm trying to say anyway. The truth is many people all had great testimonies at one time. They had great testimonies. And they may have stories about past experiences of following Christ, but their whole Christian experience still relies on their past experiences. They're not getting anything now. They have, they have started to devote their lives to something different instead of Christ. So I ask the question, what does your heart look like? See, when we do a heart exam, we have to remember that Jesus spoke very plainly in Matthew 6, 24, when he said these words, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
And here's what I think. And some people will debate me on this. I know there's lots of people who have different opinions on it. But I believe these first three types of responses, these first three soil types, are not genuine believers. I believe that obviously number one is not a believer because he never even accepted to begin with. But the other two, they look genuine up front. They look genuine initially, but it's temporary. They're not true followers. And we'll get into more of that later. Because I want to talk about the fourth type of soil next. That is the one with the receptive heart. The receptive heart. These people are good soil. The seed takes root. It grows into a healthy, fruitful plant. It is putting out the fruit. These are people who hear the word of God and they take it to heart. They, they, they put the message into practice and allow the Holy Spirit to take up residence in their lives. These people, by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, keep going. When they fall down, they get back up. When they stray, they repent and they come back to Jesus. They quickly return. They continue to repent of their divided mind and they seek God's strength and they seek God's wisdom to do the things that are necessary to to allow God to continue to work in their lives. These people let the Holy Spirit and the work of God really dwell inside of them. They're open to correction. They're open to direction that God gives. As a result, the Word of God becomes the center of their life. Their heart begins to change and the word begins to bear fruit in a way that that is evident in the way that they live. You can see it and you can see Christ in their life. So I want to take a moment to challenge you with some application of this passage as we move towards the table. As we come together in this time of self-examination. First, I'd love for you to take an inventory of your life. And I think, again, like I said before, this is a great time to do it. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Is my faith genuine? Is my faith genuine? Is my faith growing deeper? So there's a lot of people that have concluded that I'm good with God because I said a prayer. I'm good with God because I walked an aisle. I'm good with God because I had some sort of experience with Christ at some point in time in my life. But see, three of those four soils had an experience. Three of those four soils had an experience, but only one of those three, I believe, is a genuine follower of Christ. The person who's a true follower is the one who walks with Christ. He is the one, she is the one that has the fertile soil. They're the ones whose commitment to Christ is is strong and growing stronger. It's not being choked out. It's not being destroyed by trials or worries or the pleasures of life. So my challenge is for you to take a good look at your heart. Take a good look at your heart. Is your relationship with Christ something that's vital and growing? Have you gone beyond just that that first step of walking the aisle and repenting of your sins? to a process of discipleship where you're growing? Are you just a fan of Jesus where you're sitting on the sidelines and you're cheering on the the team? Hopefully they'll do well. But if you don't, you know what? It's okay because I don't have that much invested in it. Are you truly a follower of Christ that you're involved in Him and He's involved in you? Is it an emotional moment or did you really put your faith and hope and trust in Him? Second thing I want you to do is this. This passage is actually a challenge for us to evangelize and disciple. Are you evangelizing and discipling? See, the main focus of the passage really is about the seed and how it's received, but there's also a farmer who's throwing that seed. 
That is the evangelism part. That is the person who's proclaiming the word and helping really in that growth process. But unfortunately in the church, I think we've come to the conclusion that evangelism is only for the leadership. That's their job to share. And I'll bring people to church on Sunday morning, which I have no problem with, uh, but I'll bring people and let, let the, the pastor share the message instead of you being the one who is, is sharing. Or, or you have some presentation that's down to a science that there's, there's not a lot of feeling in it. Can I tell you what evangelism is? Evangelism is sharing the good news. It is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And you know what the good news is? Is that you have been saved from your sins and you will have eternal relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. That is good news. As a matter of fact, that's not just good news. It's the greatest news you're ever going to hear. But here's the thing. When it comes to evangelism and it comes to discipleship, we don't share it in such a way that we are going to go out there and say, hey, here's the greatest news I've ever heard. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about the weather. And how the weather is the greatest news we've ever heard. Or we're going to talk about the, the, the game last night and why Detroit went for two, three different times. They really should not have after the second and third time. But they did anyway. And we could talk about that a lot because NFL and fantasy points and all the things that go with it are things that we can get into. But that's not the greatest news you've ever heard. But we will treat it that way and we will avoid the thing that is the greatest, that uh, we are saved by Jesus Christ. And as we grow in Him, we continue to walk with somebody in that. As a matter of fact, if you go over to Matthew chapter uh, 28, uh, sorry, yeah, 28 verses 19 and 20, you'll see when Jesus leaves the earth, He gives us some pretty specific commands. And, And this is what He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Do you know what Jesus didn't say? Hey, go out and get decisions. He said, go out and make disciples, which is an investment process, which is us walking with somebody else, which is us first trusting Him with our lives, all of our lives, and then walking with somebody else to help them in the same process. We sang some hymns up front, and I don't think we're singing I Surrender All the Way, are we? Okay. But that was probably one of my favorite hymns growing up. Because that was always the hymn that was at the end of the service. If you went to a Baptist church, they had like three songs that always ended the service. I Surrender All was one of them. But you know what it said as you were walking out the door? This was kind of probably the, the meaning behind it. All to Him I surrender. All to Him I freely give I will ever love and trust him all to him I will freely give I surrender all and then somebody in the background be like I surrender all and then you say I surrender all again somebody else would echo that part maybe you remember that the problem is sometimes when we sing the same song every week for weeks in and weeks out we forget what we're actually saying I surrender all. All means all. And that's that process of of where we have to come at in our heart, that receptive that Jesus is Lord and I am not. Jesus is in control and I am not. I submit to you. And I'm afraid there's a lot of people going to, that at least think they're going to heaven because they made some prayer back at camp when they were a teenager or because they were baptized. And I truly believe A lot of that is the fault of the church because that's what we used to tell people. All you have to do is do this to be saved. 
And it is by grace that we are saved. But from that grace, we develop root. And if there's no root development, sometimes we're just that seed that that never really takes heart. And they, because it never took heart, they just continue their lives as they always have, confident that heaven issue has been taken care of. That's also part of the reason why I don't emphasize altar calls at the end. I always have people say, well, why, why don't you have people raise their hand? Why don't you have people walk the aisle? I'm more than happy to pray with you afterwards. And let me tell you this. Uh, it's not that I don't want people to get saved. Here at Paragon, we are desperately wanting people to become followers of Jesus Christ. Come as you are, be changed, go change the world. That's what we've held on to the whole time. But we want to respond, or, or we want to emphasize that a response to the gospel is not the same as becoming a follower of Christ. A response to the gospel is a first step. That's why we can never really say, well, X number of people came to Christ at our worship service this week because I don't know. And we don't know. The, 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 the true response versus an emotional moment because one is eternal and one is only temporary. At this time of self-examination, I truly want you to look at your heart. I truly want you to think about the depth and genuineness of your commitment to Christ, not just today, but on a constant basis. I want you to challenge you to be a follower of Christ. If you have one resolution for 2024, is be a follower of Christ because nothing else really matters. Did you hear me? Nothing else really matters because everything else is temporary. I could get all jacked. I could be huge. By this time next year, you guys be looking at me like, dang, that 2024 resolution for him really worked out. It won't happen. I'm just telling you it could. Either which way, I'm going to die in the end. It doesn't matter if I die heavy, if I die skinny, if I die muscular, if I die with a little uh, obesity rocking. I'm going to die either which way, any which way. How I live for Christ is what really matters. Now, should I honor Him with my body? Absolutely. Should He get my temple? Absolutely. That's one of our five T's. But it shouldn't be my main driving focus. My main driving focus is following Christ and let everything else fall in place after that. It's not enough just to get people to say a prayer. We have to walk with them. We have to walk with them. You know, people go to school. Just because they go to school doesn't mean they're educated. Just because they go to church doesn't mean they're Christians. So we have to walk with them and grow with them in that. Third caution is this. It's one that we've actually talked about for the last two weeks and we'll continue to talk about with Ecclesiastes and that is focus. The people who get distracted. Are we distracted? The third type of soil, I think when Jesus talks about it, is the one that bothers me the most. The one that seems to be the biggest trap for church people. We should all shudder just a little bit when we read the words about the worries and cares of life choking out the plant. See, too many people who call themselves Christians are distracted. I've used this illustration before, but how many times have we been drunk to build the kingdom of God? We have to be devoted to word rather than some methods just to try and fill up seats. Our purpose must always be to bring glory to the one who saved us by his grace. Because if we lose sight of these things, it doesn't matter how many people show up on a Sunday morning, really. We have to keep that focus. I think that's what the table's about. Helping us to remember and reflect and, and regain our focus. And when we come to the table, I want to challenge you to take some time. Like I said, we're going we're to sing three songs. The way we do the table 
is we don't pass the elements. We're going to leave them right here for you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we ask you to come and remember what he's done. If you are not, that's part of the self-examination that we need to think about and talk about, and I would love to talk to you about that even this morning. But during the three songs, you're open to come whenever. You can take the bread. You can take the juice back to your seat. You can do it as an individual. You can do it as a family, however you choose to do it. But that's our challenge to you. And Paul challenged that church in Corinth the same way that we are challenged today, to take that heart check and carry it further than just the table, but into our daily lives in 2024 as we grow closer to him. Let me read for you that passage that he shared with them as we open up the table. It says this in 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's give thanks for it now. And we'll open the table up and sing some songs and give you a time to reflect. Father, thank you again for today. And thank you for an opportunity to be able to come together as a church family. Thank you for an opportunity to be able to praise your name and lift it up. Thank you for what you did in 2023. We look forward to what you're going to do in 2024. As you continue to glorify yourself in us and through us and even in spite of us. God, during this time of self-reflection, speak to us. Speak to us where we're at and challenge us to even take that next step to grow closer to you, whatever that next step might be. We want you to have the praise and the honor and the glory this morning as we sing these songs and remember what you've done. We pray to all in that heavenly name. Amen.